This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Roadshow. Uh, this is episode two. Uh, we are back together with our uh, traditional format of both me and Kyle being here, so you don't have to listen to just me anymore. Um, we've had a few other episodes, uh, a review and a special episode, uh, which I'll get into um, what that'll look like going forward at the end of this podcast here, but uh, we're a bit early. I, I promised this episode by the 30th of December, but I was able to get with Kyle and record this one and so this is a little bit early but uh before we get too far down the line kyle how are you (laughs) i'm doing okay hank thanks for asking i've had a back injury for the last month so i've been struggling to get back on campus and to do normal things although i have gotten to watch a number of movies and other series because i didn't have anything else that i really could do but anyways yeah i'm feeling better and happy to be back and and back in the conversation yeah, so what have you uh, been watching as you've been sitting uh, on at home kind of injured? Yeah, uh, well, it's I'm not uh, big on big television series kinds of things, but I did watch Squid Game. Oh, you know, yeah. Because it's, uh, a lot of students have been talking about that, and my kids and their friends uh, have been talking about it, so I thought I would give that a go. And I don't really like television. There's just too much sitting around and talking in the <laughs> yeah. gym and, and eating. <laughs> Uh, and strategizing for me. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's in it kind of lines up with Parasite and some other South Korean kinds of, um, I don't know, just a lot of self-pity and hard times and I don't know what. But, yeah, yeah it was um, it was disturbing and very South Korean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I love both of them. I, I did enjoy Squid Games, uh, though I feel like I'm pretty hard – uh, hard not to like find something I enjoy in, in random like movies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, I th- I feel like I'm very uncultured. I, I I mentioned this I think in the first podcast that you're the uh, the connoisseur. I'm I'm the guy that goes like through the McDonald's drive-through. Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> so. Like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, in that <laughs> sense, but I, it's like I I loved uh, loved Parasite. I really enjoyed Squid Games for what it was worth, but. Those, I, I didn't make that connection, I guess, between especially like the, the kind of critique of classism there. Yeah, for that's, sure. That's apparent in both um, without spoiling that. But I mean, what are your kind of first reactions to Squid Games? Just like it, don't like it? Yeah, I thought that they, you know, um, in terms of the ending itself without spoiling it, kind of uh, pushed him in a direction I was enjoying and then they kind of called it back. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just don't I don't um, go for some of the more nihilistic um, kinds of attitudes of the of the environment and, and characters okay. and hopelessness, essentially. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow, it's the one I'm really not into. But I did really the one game that I did like 
um, was the marbles where they actually spent the whole episode basically playing the game of marble marbles. Oh wow! Yeah. Where they uh, set uh, friends against one another, and so that actually I felt like brought out some humanity and revealed a lot of things, and that was probably the best and most cinematic oh, kind yeah. of episode, you know, uh, of all of it. Oh yeah. Um, and I have a lot more to say about some of those specific situations, but. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it wasn't, it's obviously watchable and I'm more interested to know, you know, like what other, especially younger people are pulling from it. Um, yeah, it obviously has a hunger games vibe and some of that stuff, but it was also like disturbing and there was no Katniss kind of character in the squid game. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the kind of redemption pieces are not as there. It's interesting in schools I've, I've heard now. Speaking of Hunger Games, they've actually started replacing, and this is what I read when I was in high school, was um, the uh, was it the Lord of the Flies, and they've actually in some schools started replacing Lord of the Flies with Hunger Games, which wow. is interesting. It is interesting, um, and I guess the old, I mean, the, the parallel that I see is like kids killing each other. I guess a, kind of a dystopian kind yeah, of vibe, that sure. kind of thing. Um, I, I guess like in the more positive anthropology on the on the one hand, like in terms of like. The kids don't want to do it, or at least more of the kids don't want to do it in Hunger Games. Instead of just saying that, given the opportunity, like we would just as a as a uh, culture just devolve into complete and utter chaos mm-hmm. if we were given the opportunity. So I, I don't know if they're just trying to shape like a more positive view of humanity for kids or everything like that. But um, there are a lot of these shows like Squid Games that kind of like show this kind of underside of humanity. Um, and yeah, I, I and I mean even uh, for that matter, Parasite kind of does that in certain senses too yeah and parasite parasite's very well made obviously i do appreciate it from from that standpoint oh yeah and i think these are obviously reflective of our our times and and how people are feeling but it's very important for me in terms of storytelling and narrative where you land and oh what, yeah <clears throat> what bigger story you're reflecting right oh yeah um and so you shouldn't you know do something you know hopeful redemptive if it's not earned but at the same time you know, I'm I'm not necessarily, you know, to to be giving awards to Squid Games nominated Parasite was obviously highly oh, yeah. awarded. Uh, it's a bit disturbing to me that those are those are the movies that were yeah. reinforcing. That's interesting. Well, that's a theme that uh, hopefully we can return to if we if we come back to this. I know that absolutely. I think that uh, uh, I would be interested if you ever get to it. Uh, maybe you have watched it. Um, the, one of the special episodes that we're I'm looking to do is the one on Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Have you watched that? I love Mike Flanagan. I have not seen that yet, but I love the director. Yeah, I figured you would yep. because he's got some he's got some real classic kind of stuff. But yep. um, in terms of that whole nihilistic piece, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, before we get too long, we got to get to Annihilation and, and our Christmas conversation. But before I do that, I just wanted to ask, because, again, you are the connoisseur. Um, <laughs> I am the McDonald's drive through person. Uh, uh, I In the last kind of special episode, I said a little bit more about art house films because, obviously, we are the art house road show. So what does that mean? A lot of people may not know what that is. Uh, did I define that well? I talked about it being like more focused on the artistic elements of movie making and kind of the more existential experiences of um, the characters and things like that. So you will have like art house films that are bigger budgets, right? It's not like they're just you know, only independent films that are micro budgets, like not thousand dollars. Like I think I remember one time reading about an art house film that, you know, filmed in somebody's house with a budget of like $1,000. Right. Sure. Um, So not every art house film is that way. Um, Absolutely. There's there's obviously bigger budget ones. uh, But 
did I define that well? What would you add to that? Like, how do you under, or maybe just tell us how, what you understand art house films. To yeah. Be. I mean, art house movies, the whole idea, um, and experience of art house movies came in the fifties and sixties, mostly, uh, films being distributed from Europe and Japan. So the Igmar Bergman, Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai. Oh yeah. Um, those, and, and definitely when the French new wave stuff hit in the late fifties, early sixties, college campuses around the states and in our bigger cities new york and la would have art house theaters where you could see these foreign movies that often were they did not follow the code that was still in place in hollywood the hayes code which had a lot of censorship and whatever so you could see different things uh that were more you know liberal coming out of europe but definitely in terms of uh, you know existential themes and very character driven uh and quite a bit darker um, in tone or theme and, and very influential on the directors of the 70s, uh, Coppola and Scorsese and, and George Lucas um, was highly influenced by Kurosawa for the Star yeah, Wars yeah. movies, right? Um, and so those guys were in love with those movies coming across. So I think that that, as you said, has invo- evolved into a mix in Hollywood of both the independent art house and the big blockbuster and some directors doing both, right? Spielberg mm. has definitely done both. Um, Scorsese has done both. Spike Lee has lived off of kind of that, having both some big budget quality Hollywood relationship and very small independent movies as mm-hmm. well. I love that. And I think that you see, I mean, you brought up the Star Wars piece. I think you do see like the sense in which art house, art house films uh, impacts larger, bigger budget movies. I mean, mm-hmm. Star Wars obviously being among them, but you see those films. I mean, I think of the, you know, you're mentioning earlier the idea of like the, like, where is this character going? Um, you know, the kind of um, less studio interference, I think is a good art house kind of like piece too because the director kind of gets the absolutely sure but like even with star wars like you have this um uh this sense in which um the characters like i I think in the the sequel trilogy um they kind of really struggle to define where those characters are going because they kind of pass them back and forth and they don't have that payoff either but star wars itself is driven by this understanding of i mean you, you talked about the the films that lucas was was uh uh, informed by this is I think uh, something that shows up really heavily in the idea of, of like the Jedi Star Wars that kind of stuff too um, mm-hmm. well did you want to add anything to how you want us to kind of explore films on on the podcast I kind of offered some thoughts in the special episode um, but did you have anything you want to add to that obviously art house films are not what we're only going to talk about but sure the majority of these these shows will be talking about an art house film but yeah, do you want to add? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, as you mentioned to me earlier in conversation, just hearing from what people want to hear mm-hmm. more about uh, movies they would like to hear us talk about. Obviously, Joker, which also plays into the Parasite conversation. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, very well. Um, you know, coming back to that. But yeah, just as we're following along, uh, hearing from from others. But yeah, I've got no. I'm um, happy to jump in in terms of following a director, looking at bigger catalog of movies or just focusing in like annihilation today on on one story that's kind of moves both of us and and go from there yeah not always in the best ways but (laughs) it definitely moved for sure and yeah i I love i think the niche of this the podcast and for you know you who's listening to this the hope is that um this will enter into because i mean obviously there's art house podcasts out there um 
the mental health piece, the faith piece, I think is something that we'll focus on. I mean, you talk about Joker. I mean, there's tons of mental health sure. elements there. I mean, right on the nose. But yeah, right. in every film, there's probably something kind of cathartic. You know, there's something that's healing. There's something in, in every art house film. There's these kind of things that are spun around there. I mean, in Annihilation today, yeah, um, you've got these very broken characters <laughs> that experience this uh, destruction, transformation, um, depending on which way you want to look at it um, in yeah. terms of their experience. But, but yeah. So anyway, uh, as a kind of special treat before we dive into Annihilation, uh, just a brief conversation, just because it's I think it's a fun one. Um, uh, the Christmas movie uh, conversation. What constitutes a Christmas movie? The <laughs> holiday season is right around the corner. Um, but I, do you have any strong opinions about this? I get asked this all the time. What constitutes like, like does is Die Hard a Christmas movie? You know? <laughs> and for for me, like, and this is I don't know if, how you feel about this. Like, I think The Godfather is a Christmas movie. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, but do you have any strong opinions about this? Well, I mean, yeah, you can anything can be a Christmas movie that has a Christmas tree in it. I That's think right. is the, right. the argument at the end of the day, right? Uh, and that we can enjoy watching, and it gives you <clears throat> gives you more options than maybe what we would consider traditional Santa Claus based yeah. movies uh, to watch at Christmas. That you can also watch Die Hard, and it makes it kind of fun to incorporate, you know, these different visions that incorporate Christmas into their narrative. And yes. I think that that is potentially often important, like in Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, yeah. um, is <clears throat> on one hand a spiritual journey and it's a very dark one mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily recommending watching it but christmas ha plays a significant role in the movie other than just background right um in terms of themes and what's happening so i think that that can be you know really big part of you know what constitutes christmas movie experience and that and that in includes when you said the godfather or kubrick um you know, really good, solid movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the genre of a Christmas movie obviously is, is largely limited to if you see Santa Claus in it or not. But I yeah. think the, the best part of, of like a good Christmas movie is like you said, is that is there a theme that in Christmas is being explored? So sure. Die Hard, you know, for that. I mean, it's obviously a, I, it's, it's funny because like the people who are the most stringent defenders of Die Hard as Christmas movies, uh, they just don't like Christmas movies in general. So yeah, they right. Action flick they can walk <laughs> sure. during that time, which you know I'd highly recommend um, Jingle All the Way for those looking for a, like a more on the nose. Yeah, uh, Christmas movie with some action elements. But I mean, Die Hard. <laughs> I think I mean he's saving Christmas, saving his marriage, that kind of thing. So sure, I think I think it's there. I mean, yeah. for me, like I think Christmas music, like it either has to be tied, like you said, directly to like I, more than just like a tree being there but like some kind of theme of christmas so like i take iron man 3 to be an example like he's there's tony stark kind of with pepper at christmas mm -hmm. trying to uh make amends for the life he's lived so far as well as kind of dealing with the trauma of uh the events of the avengers and the things like that and sure i, mean, uh, I think that all these fit within that but um also i just feel like die hard is a home alone for adults I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's yeah, sure, man. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> I feel like those, those elements like make up a, a good Christmas movie. And I mean, for me, the, the Godfather always did because, uh, like there's a strong emphasis on family. There's an emphasis, um, on, uh, you know, legacy Christmas comes around a couple times. I think in those, those shows, I mean, yeah, I love the first two Godfathers. I think those are two of my favorite films. Yeah. Phenomenal. Time. Phenomenal. Yeah. I'm for sure. I mean, just, Oh, I mean, the, I, I guess we could spoil that one because if you haven't seen the Godfather, that's kind of on you. It's been around for a while, <laughs> but the, uh, like just the, the relationship between like that feeling I got, like I, it's rarely happens to me when 
when Fredo is killed, you know, by Michael. Uh, that is just powerful in, in, in all the wrong ways, but it just... It no doubt. Me. It's very emotional. Yeah, it is. I mean, the third one, I... I I'm 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 a little less in, enthralled with, but yeah, we can argue about that one later too. Oh, do you do you like oh, that? Yeah. One? Oh yeah. Oh okay. I'm yeah. Not, I don't I'm not against it. I just yeah. I, That's I all right. Yeah. You can. I be. guess the incest theme was is the thing that gets me a little bit, but uh, at the same time, like, no, yeah, it's super weird. It is super weird. Yeah. Um. I I I I enjoy all those actors like James Caan being in that. No know? doubt. Anyway, so but yeah, no, I'm I'm not like against it. I'm just less impressed with it than I am the first two. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, we'll we'll have to we have, we have a few grievances to air. Uh, yeah, no doubt, but it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be a good conversation, all in good fun. But I did see uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" in 35 millimeter this past weekend, which was always a beautiful experience. Oh wow, yeah. And I think um, "It's a Wonderful Life" is not just a great Christmas movie, but one of the great movies of all time. Yeah, in my perspective. Uh, now I also watched Tokyo Godfathers, which is an anime movie from 2003 that is uh takes place on christmas eve and it's very christmasy oh wow yeah so also recommend that you can rent that on amazon uh that's another fun different experience okay great yeah, yeah so for you anime fans out there looking yeah for some representation of the christmas season that's right one for you so tokyo godfathers is tokyo that? godfathers oh wow i'm yeah. gonna have to check that out i'm i'm i love anime like i as certain animes i should say I sure not all animes but like one punch man and uh death note um um, all those classic pieces. I yeah, really absolutely. Love. So maybe we'll do an anime <laughs> edition sure. of this. I think we threatened that on the first podcast too. Yeah. Uh, well, we anyway. have, yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, anyway, yeah. Well, uh, well, did you want to share any more movies that you had for uh, Christmas that you were? No, I mean those are the two that definitely stand out. Otherwise, I'll begin to ramble. No, you're good. Yeah. I mean, this time of year, I set up like a, a list of like 20 Christmas movies that yep. I try and get through. Some that are more just kind of sentimental. Um, sure. Uh, but I mean, obviously, it's wonderful. Life is there. Um, I like the the Grinch. I think are, are mm-hmm. some helpful. Absolutely, but especially between the different iterations of the Grinch. Yeah, a lot that happens there. But in the original, uh, the 1951 Christmas Carol is quite oh, it's yeah. black and white and, yes. and actually pretty creepy. Yeah. Um, and so I love the yeah, just the mm-hmm. ghost, yeah, the ghostiness of uh, Christmas time, and yeah, just a whole different oh, kind yeah. of relationship with it. Yeah, oh. the which is you know spiritual in its in its obviously context and mm-hmm. Dickens mm-hmm. Um, take on Christmas, anyways. But yeah, those are good too. Oh wow, yeah, I I, I could go on and on. Yeah, about that, I know, right? So uh, maybe yeah, next next <laughs> December. That's right. Next we'll December that. we'll just do it like yeah. all Christmas movies. Uh, well, anyway, just for time's sake, I know that this uh, uh, this conversation is more for me. I love talking about Christmas movies, so I can do that all day as well. But. Let's get into Annihilation here. Uh, yeah. When we first talked before the podcast, like this is one of the movies we kind of came back to. It's a, it's a. I, I rewatched it recently. I know you did too, mm-hmm. just to remind myself of the themes. I just forgot how jarring mm-hmm. it is. Like, uh, like there's difference between like slasher films and jump scare horror films, and like true like in-depth terror. <laughs> yeah, sure. And this felt like that. It always feels like that. It's from. Um, in case uh, the listeners wondering, it's from uh, Alex Garland. Uh, he's the guy who did um, Ex Machina. Ex Machina, yeah. yeah Ex Machina. That's yeah. right. I'm sorry. That's my, right, man. Yeah. My, uh, <laughs> my anime friends are gonna um, punch <laughs> me in the face for that. Ex Machina. Yeah, that, I love that movie. Yeah, it's good. That's such a great movie. I, I think it's. I also really just love uh, all the Gleasons. So sure. Um, just seeing, and I mean, 
Oscar, Oscar Isaac's in that one too, right? Mm-hmm. He yeah. sure is. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. So anyway, he's a, he's also in um, Annihilation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that movie. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's one we can cover at some point later. I'd forgotten all about that movie until I started watching Annihilation. Sure. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Annihilation is uh, based on a novel, um, but it has ties to a couple uh, other like. 70s films like Stalker, which is directed by Andre Tarkovsky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really interesting uh, story. I'm going to give a little bit of a plot line, and um, then we'll kind of dive into unpacking it a bit. And you can jump in there anytime you want to, Kyle, if I miss something. Yeah, no, go ahead, man. Important. Yeah. But um, its story, it follows the story of a character named Lena, who's a, a biologist. Um, and uh, you meet her first kind of like being interrogated in a like a like a decontamination room it looks like everyone around her like benedict wong for example is the main kind of interrogator he's wearing this hazmat suit and asking her questions about something that you haven't seen as the uh watcher um of the right. movie. and it kind of cuts back to her in the classroom she's answering um uh she's giving a lecture um on uh like cancer cells mm-hmm. uh, but you know during this time there's also the the arrival of uh uh, th- this uh, like meteorite that hits this lighthouse and develops this shimmer, right? Which will become one of the main pieces of this of this film. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Lena kind of has these awkward interactions. Like you, she is mourning a husband. It seems like uh, throughout the this beginning part of the film, and she's at home. Like she tells a colleague she can't go to a, a get together. Uh, because she needs to go home and paint the room is what she refers to it as um, and mm-hmm. she goes home she's kind of painting the room and, and this Oscar Isaac who's the actor who plays her husband comes up the stairs unexpectedly um, and she's very overcome with emotion and she's trying to get some information out of him like what's happened you know where have you been and um, you know she's basically references the fact that he's been gone for like a year um, and she's wanting to know about his mission that took him away. Um, he gets very sick. They take him to the hospital, but as they go to the hospital, they get intercepted by um, government military personnel, um, and Lena finds themselves like finds herself kind of like caught in this weird space where she's hearing about this this kind of giant like phenomenon called the Shimmer. Mm-hmm. Right, and she's she's uh, she's hearing that people are going in there, not coming out. They've sent in drones. They've tried to do satellite images. They can't see what's going on inside of it without going inside. And so, long story short, she ends up going in there with a small team of people. Um, she's a biologist, uh, but they also have a psychologist that goes in there, a paramedic, a physicist, and a geologist all go in there to kind of study what's happening inside of the shimmer. So, have I missed anything so far? No, I mean, yeah, I think that that was. I think the thing that stood out to me was you mentioned the obviously the meteorite or whatever is coming from space and lands into this lighthouse, which mm-hmm. is, we'll come back to is significant. But it all that also connects it to uh, two other stories. One is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and and then also H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Color Out of Space. Yeah, uh, which is also a recent movie. Uh, that I've watched a couple times this year and has some very similar kinds of things happening in terms of how the shimmer um, re- is re- responding and changing the environment and, and uh, changing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very Lovecraftian for any people who um, are really into his work. Uh, this yeah. really comes uh, is born out of that in a way. 
Yeah, the thing I always really appreciate about good science fiction is that it always invites us to explore humanity more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, evolution of Star Trek, for example, from, like, the original series, even through the next generation, but um, it was always an exploration of, like, difference and, and humanity. It wasn't mean to be human in relationship to um, otherness, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. um, which is very different from the most <laughs> recent series, which is just, like, let's blow everything up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, I mean, I, not to trash Star Trek Discovery, um, <laughs> but you know, I th- I do think it is it is a significant departure sure. from uh, what Star Trek has been about. But yeah, good good um, like science fiction, like you said, mm-hmm. the body snatchers does explore these themes, and I think those are here too. Um, Absolutely. So the main characters are Ventress, who's the psychologist, uh, uh, Reddick, who I forget um, if she's the physicist or the geologist. Um, I guess it doesn't matter. Shepard, who's yeah. kind of the most likable character inside of it. Thornson, who's the paramedic, and then Lena, who's mm-hmm. the biologist that she's met. Um, you know. Yeah, and which one was played by um, Tessa Thompson? Uh, Reddick. Yeah. So I think yeah, she's the geologist because she's the one with like the sound equipment, yes. and, like all the comms and all that yes. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and they've got some yeah. great actors in here too. Uh, the character who plays yeah, Thornson um, is you'd know her as Jane from Jane the Virgin if you watch that show. Uh, really different role for no her. No doubt, big time. <laughs> than, than that show, but um, I think she does really great. She's great. Uh, I, all of them do great, yeah, really. Yeah, for sure. Ventress plays this really just unlikable person, which as a mental health expert, you probably don't like the, the shade that that casts on uh Well, I mean, they give enough context of her own story, yeah. I think. And I, yeah, uh, I mean, I found her to be direct, not necessarily um, unlikable, but she definitely is not in a good headspace about herself or you know humanity do you think that relates to kind of uh, each of these individuals is like they they say very uh early on it's kind of uh broken or kind of that's the language they use like self-destructing in a certain way um do you think that relates to her own kind of like struggles uh well i think she's actually projecting that i mean she has definitely found uh not only these brilliant scientists um, people to come alongside of her, but all of them basically have nothing to lose. Mm. So they're not necessarily self-destructive. Some of them, like uh, Ventress herself, has cancer and is dying, so she doesn't have anything to lose in mm-hmm. that way and moving forward. And as you get deeper in, you find out a couple of them um, are not happy. to. They actually want to get out. They don't want to you know, be destroyed by this thing or right. changed by it, yeah. um, even after it's too late. But but yeah, but I think yeah, uh, Ventress in particular is is projecting her own kind of like lack um, and nihilism onto everything mm-hmm. uh, when she talks about everything being self destructive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. This is um, I, that's what I think one of the themes I really like about it. I'll talk. We'll talk a little bit later after we kind of get through the story. But yeah. Is this idea of like how does one because the shimmer represents change for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. I mean, evolutionary sense and like the biological sense, like it changes the people within it like really quickly when you step inside the shimmer. Um, I think they actually like, they step inside and they can't remember anything uh, from the moment they step into like, I don't know how many days pass. They don't even, I don't think it's even say themselves how many days pass, but they just basically wake up. Yeah. They don't remember setting up camp. Um, yeah. They just kind of, you see them step in and then all of a sudden you, um, 
Natalie Portman, who plays Lena, she wakes up and she's trying to get her bearings and they realize that they have no idea how they got to where they're at. Yeah. Um, which is a really interesting uh, kind of thing. But things really run amok quickly. But this idea of like change, deep change, is a, is a theme that I see as central kind of to the <laughs> to the um, to the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. The I think there, yeah, I think it's spiritual too, even though oh, it presents yeah. itself as a horror movie and and horrible things are happening. But I think particularly some of the beautiful moments and the whole lighthouse sequence mm-hmm. uh, brings a lot more uh, spiritual imagery mm-hmm. subtext in with that as well. Yeah, yeah. This uh, it's it's interesting because that's one of the elements that Lena's asked when she's because they flash back and forth between. Lena in the shimmer um, and then Lena kind of in the contemporary situation where she's being interviewed by um, Benedict Wong's character um, who is uh, there to um, kind of figure out what happened, yeah. you know? And so you kind of, because they've not had anybody come out of the shimmer. They've sent teams and teams in and right. the first one to come out was Oscar Isaac's character. Yeah. Lena's husband. Uh, but he doesn't seem right, and he's you know obviously struggling, and and they're just trying to keep him alive because he's come back out of it. And then Lena is the second person to come out who can actually answer questions yes. for once, and seems to be herself enough to like give information. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting in that sense because they got different acts. So they, they divide it into acts, um, like they they do kind of like the traditional what I as- like associate with like almost like stage plays. They have like the the black screen and then name of the act and so this this film takes place i think of three acts i'm starting to remember mm-hmm. um, yeah and, and i mean you can you can add the fourth and kind of the uh the return back around but um anyway the it's this interesting thing is as they kind of progress through the like the axes in a certain sense they're it's almost like a like it like they're progressing like steadily like in closer into the center of a circle like it feels very much like um Wow, I'm forgetting the name of this now. Uh, labyrinth. It feels very much like a labyrinth. Yeah, sure. They're kind of progressing through that. Um, one of the things you see early on, so for example, they start taking kind of like biology samples. So there's this first scene where they cross a bridge, and Lena, being a biologist, notices that all these different flowers are coming from the same kind of vine, right? And they're yeah, different all, species of flowers. Yeah, different yeah. species. And so she just she like she's like, this is really interesting that this is happening, and because uh, it's impossible, right? Yeah. Is what she's saying. It's yeah, and so she's she's wanting to take lots of samples, and they're kind of studying it and things like that. And uh, um, the next kind of major scene is one of the characters, I think it's Shepard actually, um, who no, it might be Reddick. Is Reddick? That's right. Is Reddick? She gets attacked by uh, an alligator. Yep. Um, who has been who has experienced a ton of evolutionary change, uh, so much so that they and each character they're all armed for some reason. Lena was in the military along with her husband Kane, so. Um, she kills the alligator um, and they kind of like open the mouth of the alligator and see that it has kind of teeth like teeth lines that are similar to like a shark you know yep. uh, that have like multiple rows of teeth and so whenever they break a tooth like one kind of pops into place to kind of replace it and it's kind of it's mm-hmm. weird for it to be on this alligator like an evolutionary change that drastic on an alligator sure so, again they're 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 really just starting to recognize how strange all of this is. They finally get to a place where um, her husband, um, um, as they get closer to the lighthouse, where her husband was, and they find like this video camera, um, and they see kind of um, what they think is the soldiers kind of going mad because it's a scene. It's very graphic, 
um, where they uh, cut open kind of the stomach of a fellow soldier, and, and as they look inside, it looks like his intestines are moving, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, very, very difficult to watch. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, like, they kind of debate, like, okay, they went crazy. They, they cut this guy open, and uh, uh, Thornson, who's the uh, Jane the Virgin actress, I'm, I'm really forgetting her name. Um, I probably should have the, the list. Of, Gina, Gina Rodriguez. Gina, yep. Yeah, Gina Rodriguez, yeah. yeah. I have the list right at Gina Rodriguez. Yeah. There we go. So she's done more than Jane the Virgin, but yep. that's, that's what I know her from most, uh, most especially. Um, but anyway, so she, yeah, she, um, uh, she, she's like, it's a trick of the light. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm a paramedic, you know, that kind of thing. She's freaking trying to rationalize out. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this is the point where, like you said, people are wanting to go back. It's like, we've seen some pretty crazy things yep. here. We found what happened. Well, the very next thing they see is they actually find the space that they did the, uh, film the guy in and yeah. find him, you know, attached to the wall. Yep. Uh, all like, uh, very graphically just, uh, becoming something yep. totally different. So it's the next stage of like the flowers, the alligator, and now look what it did to this human being. Right. Um, as a part of this, that he's become a part of this world that has changed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that there's lots of reasons to, uh, begin debating what we're going to do next. (laughs) Yeah. Just before one of the characters gets eaten by a bear. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. That rivals the bear from, um, the Revenant. I would oh say. my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> that those wow! I really so, <laughs> that should be a Twitter poll. That's um, right. Which bear? <laughs> which bear is worse? The yeah. bear from uh, uh, the bear from Annihilation or the bear from the Revenant? Yeah. Oh my goodness! That that's some trauma right there. Some CGI bears. Yeah, those that's really really rough. Yeah. Yeah, that's those bears are, <laughs> mm, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because like that's where, it's interesting because like that's uh, later on Reddick will say. Um, that Ventress wants to face whatever's in the Shimmer. Lena wants to fight it, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets something to fight for, right? Yeah, and it's it's but like, and I mean, Reddick uses this to say that I don't want to do either yep. of those things. Um, and one of the overarching overarching themes that I see, especially like when you look at it in terms of like what you ultimately will find out what happens to Kane and why he ends up in the state that he does, is that there's this sense in which um, like when it comes to the change that we experience um, as humans, um, you know, in this battle um, that we have kind of inside of us, like there's there's this sense in which we either fight it um, or we run from it um, or we refuse to take it up and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a challenge. There's a, there's a deep philosophical theme by uh, one of my favorite philosophers, Frederick Nietzsche, who's, who you know argues that you know we we need to become kind of these self-positing, self-creating um, individuals, um, and in some sense, like that's kind of the choice that's left here. But you mm-hmm. have the group that wants to leave. You know, I mean, the rap also represents, yeah, just you're like this is crazy. Do you mm-hmm. see this? Like, um, but I also associate very much with Lena, who's just like I I need to know more mm-hmm. about you know because one of the points that you know, we didn't really mention is that she hasn't really told anybody else in the group at this sure. point yep. that her husband was the guy because her husband was the one who cut the guy open. Um, and she didn't tell anybody that the reason she's in here is because her husband came out and she's trying to find answers. Like yeah. what happened? Sure. That kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, anyway, so just to kind of move right along, um, that bear comes in, steals kind of shepherd, um, 
and they kind of go looking for her, find her. She's been killed. Um, and, you know, Thornton at this point, like, starts to kind of, uh, which is Gina Rodriguez's character again, she starts to um, kind of uh, really start to get frustrated with the fact that, you know, Shepard was the other one who wanted to leave. Riddick at that point, I think, is kind of leaning towards leaving, but um, the main two kind of influences are Ventress and Lena, and they want to stay. Um, keep progressing towards the lighthouse and um, you know there's this scene where um, Thornton is trying like she, she basically like is portrayed as going mad right um, she kind of ties all three of them up um, and it's just that you know claims that Lena's lying to them that she's the one who killed Shepard all that kind of stuff and that's when you hear Shepard you know screaming out for help outside of the um, the house she goes out there she being um, Thornton and finds the bear had you know it's been stalking yep. them and one of the things that's um, one of the most, I think, terrifying, mm-hmm. horrifying pieces of this of this uh, movie was the fact that this bear actually like absorbed the screams of Shepard. Mm-hmm. And so as it's kind of coming into the house and stalking the people in the house, you hear Shepard's screams. Like the like the worst part of her experience is kind of remains, mm-hmm. and she's kind of trapped in there in a certain sense. And that's yep. nightmarish stuff. Um, and for it sure, en- it ends up killing Thornson, um, but uh, Reddick uh, gets uh, gets out of her bonds and kills the bear. Um, and it's just it's a really intense scene. I mean, what what are your kind of thoughts about that scene <laughs> specifically? Like, it's 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 uh, really tough to watch. But yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just so creative because you've not I've not seen anything <clears throat> like that in terms of. Um, again, things coming together and, and becoming one, which is a theme, the one that, the song that they keep playing through, um, is part of that, the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in this most disturbing way imaginable, uh, this bear absorbing, um, her fear and her screams and then projecting it back out, um, in this really creepy way. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought, um, yeah, it was just not that's just not comfortable yeah yeah it's i mean and that's why i say like in terms of like there's a difference between like obviously like there's monster movies that kill people pretty efficiently yeah you know i mean the amount of people that die for example like godzilla that's that's incredible but there's there's a and there's a lot you know to be said about like early godzilla and like the existential threat that that was supposed to be and the critique of you know nuclear proliferation things like that but the the interesting thing about like this scene the reason why i say it's like true horror is that it 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 fills you with this sense of dread in a, in a sense like the, of this this bear that has this kind of like surreal ability to absorb the fear of its victims um, and even like you know how it kills um, Thornston it's very graphic you know it's just truly horrifying and that kind of thing there's no like honor <laughs> in that yeah. kind of moment you know it's just very much just tragic and sad as she's trying to escape it and it's just it's it's really rough but there's another interesting scene i kind of want to talk about this just a little bit because i imagine that uh i i just struggle with it let me just say that um and it involves um uh involves Redick. um it's, it's right after tessa thompson's character right tessa thompson yep. yeah who's already been she's already been uh communicated about her uh, that she doesn't show her arms because of these scars that she has from cutting herself right uh, which just indicates you know depression 
um, and a number of other mental health issues that may have come along with that mm-hmm. in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's again, part of the reason, you know, that potentially she's there, uh, and her whole personality. I mean, you might know Tessa Thompson from a number of roles and, and superhero roles, Thor and all of that, but she is very meek and mild character in this, yeah. in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's she's yeah, she's very much the opposite of her character in Valkyrie. Um, one of the things I love just speaking about the, you know, and again, this is the, the I guess the trigger warning on, on stuff of self-mutilation. Early on, Lena, and I think this is what most people think about it, this is, and obviously this is a mental health piece, so you can speak into this probably more effectively than I can, but um, uh, Lena's character, this is Natalie Portman's character, um, hears about like the, the scratches and the, scr- the scars on her arm and assumes that she was trying to um, mm-hmm. commit suicide and you know the shepherd who's the character she's talking to at the time they're kind of rowing down this lake um in these little boats they found and she says no i think she's doing it so that she could feel alive right the, you know the misconception about self-mutilation is that's about suicide but no it's about feeling right sure um in a absolutely sense. and so um like that's very much represented but this scene is really interesting that's where she gives the line you know ventress wants to face it you want to fight it um i don't want to do either of those things and she gets up and, you know, that's when you start to see that there's like out of her scars, there's like growing like grass and flowers and different kinds of mm-hmm. plants. Um, my, uh, you know, she doesn't say what she wants to do. What's her third option? Um, and, uh, you know, I'm in my mind and I, I again, I'm not trying to um, say that this is definitively what they meant in this character. In some sense, she's wanting to surrender to it. Mm-hmm. Um, not fight it, not face it, but surrender to it. And so, like the the scene, and you don't really see exactly what happens, but you know, as Tessa Thompson Riddick's character is walking away, the the flowers become more profound. And then Lena, when she chases after her, you know, she loses her, and all she finds is kind of this field of people that have kind of transformed into these um, beautiful kind of flower people, for yep. lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, what do you think's happening there? What are the, what is trying to be communicated in you know your um, yeah. Estimation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, so I, yeah, I think it's a beautiful sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and was you know, both times, especially the first time I saw it, like very moved by just seeing flowers coming out of her scars. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, um, even reminded me of an early Tupac Shakur poem that's <clears throat> become popular called the rose that grew from concrete, right. Mm-hmm. Referring to himself, uh, or anybody who comes out of those situations mm-hmm. and, and becomes beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that beautiful things coming from from scars is a spiritual, you know, idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so just visually very moved by that. Um, her character had also previously uh, talked, uh, introduced the idea of refraction uh, in terms of what the shimmer is doing and how it's reflect- refracting things, you know, in us. And I think that's different for everybody, how this is playing out, mm-hmm. too that you could <clears throat> extract in term, potentially in terms of character or whatever. So, but I'll just say this, uh, one, I think, you know, um, the bear killing, uh, Gina Rodriguez. Um, and then this scene with her, it's almost immediately after kind of right. plot devices really to move the story forward in a way. Yeah. And so I think you can, in a movie, you can do that, um, in a just horror, you know, uh, Tessa Thompson could have been killed by the bear and let's move it forward. But I think you actually stop and think of like, how, what do we do with this character? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think they're actually, uh, giving her something very compassionate, mm-hmm. uh, to work with. And, in you know, uh, addiction recovery, we had used the phrase, 
acceptance is the answer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not offended by her kind of, it, she seems at peace with submitting and accepting what's happening. And mm-hmm. this life is growing out of her, which is something she's been longing for anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't necessarily see it as acceptance as like suicide, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but acceptance as kind of like, yeah, I'm not fighting anymore. And, and there's actually life is actually growing out of me so at least visually leaves it up for interpretation and i actually found that to be very beautiful especially because you don't see that kind of beauty or you know or even ambiguity in horror films right right um and maybe some more so in science fiction but i just thought that was that was a great moment uh that i think also further opened me up to uh the ocean and the lighthouse and the things that happened there as spiritual uh, spiritual journey and um, and some spiritual interpretation like that mm-hmm. was really the first thing that that uh, opened that up for me at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the thing that Lena says around this time, maybe before it, when and this is a back in the interrogation room. Um, she's asked by Benedict Wong's character, um, I think his name is Blockett, um, uh, but he uh, like he asks her like so was it pretty terrifying in there and she's like not all of it she says some of it was quite beautiful and i think she was referring to what happens to Tessa Thompson sure absolutely um absolutely. and that kind of and like early on like i mean i um, i wrote a little article for youth ministers on self mutilation and that kind of thing and so early on i was very put off by the scene not because of the suicide piece i think that's an interesting and important distinction to make the acceptance is not Suicide, because that's not the the point of self mutilation. That's not what people are, are sure. doing there, and and I think it could be misinterpreted there. So I think that's a very helpful distinction. In some sense, like when it comes to like the healing piece, you have to read it cert- like in these spiritual terms, like something beautiful coming out of it. Yeah, that, that Tupac poem, really beautiful. And and I guess this is just more of a struggle. I'm not. This is not a rejection of it because I very am. I'm very much moved by it. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the fact that just like I watched, I remember reading this goosebump story when I was a kid about like, like actual plants growing out of a kid mm-hmm. and him turning into a kid. And me being very terrified about yeah, it. Yeah, so sure. That triggered me when no I saw doubt, her dude. do that. Well, we can do therapy later. That's right. Yeah, we'll do that later. Yeah, that'll, that'll be the sequel podcast. Yeah, the, the Art House Roadshow therapy sessions. <laughs> so like you know that I guess that kind of triggered that. Sure, me. sure. Like, man. When I first watched that, I was like, that is that is scary, Absolutely. terrifying. Yeah, but not every. I mean, the thing I've learned recently, especially with, you know, Advent, the idea of like um, waiting and, and like leading towards, especially like the nativity scene, like yeah. things that can be terrifying can be beautiful as yeah. well. Um, and you see that kind of the real kind of like intersection of those in this character with Redick and her transformation. Yeah. In some sense, though, like well, the healing I wish for Redick is something where um, like humanity, like you see her humanity kind of preserved in some more tangible way i see that though like and again I, even as i say that i'm like you still see that though because it's it's a tying to creation mm-hmm. right absolutely That's what creation is and so maybe i'm just like i need to like process this scene a little bit more i'm coming well, again like yeah it. you really have to work a little bit in terms of the whole the introducing the spiritual perspective or uh lena says it makes everything new yeah. right which again is a to me a theological um, you know, uh, flag out mm-hmm. there and the way it's making things new and the, the fact that the <clears throat> uh, impossible is becoming possible. Mm. So like all these, you know, things we talk about in our faith, 
um, are happening in this context, which is not necessarily, this is not supposed to be, you know, the new heaven and new earth mm-hmm. uh, by any means. And a lot of it is the opposite of that. But there's still these beautiful indicators and, and short little visions mm-hmm. of the impossible becoming possible and just this new life, mm-hmm. uh, this new vision. Uh, and so when that happens, it is really phenomenal. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think that, you know, for, for, for what Christians say about um, new creation and things like that, there's a lot to be learned from what happens here. Absolutely. Uh, mostly because um, it's, it's, it's in an unforeseen kind of sense, and I think that's, that's more in line with uh, doctrine and scripture, this kind of unforeseen nature of it. I do have a bone to pick with this idea of destruction, which is not something you're talking about yep. here, but this idea of like newness coming through destruction, but which we can get to here in a second. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's interesting. I mean, and that's a good segue to what happens next. Like literally right after the Lena scene, sorry, the, the uh, Redick scene, mm-hmm. uh, Lena goes into kind of this um, reminiscence of the fact that you find out she actually, while her husband was gone, uh, no, wait, before her husband left, actually. Yeah, the reason he left early, apparently, is he found out yes. uh, that she was having an affair. Yes. So they cut to a scene where she's having the affair um, and beginning to experience guilt about right. it and starting to make you right. know choices. Right. And it's interesting because the early in the, the movie, the kind of the co-worker that she interacts with who's asking her to come to some kind of party um, get together with him and his wife. It's actually that colleague that she's having an affair yeah. with. Um, and it's interesting, like that's, um, you know, self-destruction is kind of one of the things they bring up multiple times. Uh, Ventress, you know, brings it up once too. Um, this is kind of her own moment of self-destruction. Um, it, it, at least that's how I kind of read it in the, the film. For it's sure. To say that this is her self-destructing. In, and at a time when she's also pushing forward and fighting, right. where Ventress has already run up ahead to yeah. destroy herself, give herself over in a way that I was you know, not as comfortable with in terms of the Tessa Thompson character. It was different. Yeah. Uh, and Lena is going there actively to learn and still to fight <clears throat> to come back and reconcile with her husband, right. uh, which is how I read it and, and what I thought was, you know, revealing about. So it's not just, we do have these self-destructive impulses as yeah. Ventress talks about, but we don't, we're not a slave to those impulses either. We can oh, also wow, yeah. fight against those. That's and really Lena, Lena's a core, you know, spiritual journey character there doing that. Would you say that then Lena and Ventress are kind of like, like juxtaposed with each other, like these kind of, because I think you can juxtapose Lena with a whole host of characters, Lena and yeah, and, for sure, and Kane, which we'll talk about how they differ here in yep. a second. But Lena and Ventress and the ways that they confront it. I mean, Lena and Redick, right? Lena is kind of the main foil of the entire piece because of how she interacts with the world around her. And again, this is the beauty of art house films. You get to kind of develop with her in ways that I think are really, sure. really profound uh, that you don't see you know, very, like, she's not a two-dimensional character. Um, she, you, like, you, she's the hero in a lot of sense because she goes in to fight yeah. this this being, this creature that uh, it will find in the lighthouse here in a minute um, to kind of learn more to fight for her marriage. But at the same time, she's, you know, she has these flaws <laughs> of yeah. actively, you know, she's, she's not always honest, you yeah. know, um, and she's, uh, uh, obviously, she's she's got some infidelity in her past, but it's just, it's interesting because, um she kind of is the one that wrestles with these questions. At least we get to see most of kind of her wrestling with it. You kind of get, you don't really know of all of what's going inside of 
Redick's mind whenever she gives herself over to the Shimmer and things like that. Or, you know, you, you don't see at all anything of what happens to Ventress. You just see the aftermath here in a second. Um, but Lena, like, you get to kind of develop with her the whole way, even though you don't hear her talking or something yeah. like that in her head. Um, you can see it on her face. Sure. So the final act. Which is good filmmaking when that, you can do that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's unlike um, with, uh, like, the first time someone actually, you know, we brought up the Hunger Games earlier. The first yeah. time someone, like, met, read that and talked to me about it, they said they hated it because all you ever heard was just the inside voices of Katniss's head, <laughs> right? Which is, you know, lazy writing in a lot of ways. But, I mean, I love the mo- uh, the book and the movie. But yeah, sure. um, the whole idea is that, like, you know, the best kind of writing is that you don't need to know exactly what's going on in someone's head to know what they're going through. Um, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, uh, so we go to this final act. Um, again, it's, it's actually not that uh, long. Entitled, yeah, in, yeah, it's not. And it's entitled The Lighthouse. Right. Which is one of the most profound, I think, visual things we have there, mm-hmm. um, and particularly in um, another movie I don't like called *The Lighthouse*. Yeah, Robert Eggers, uh, which is like an inverted uh, whole thing happening, which is another podcast. Yeah, um, but I think the use of this lighthouse, and and again, thinking in filmmaking, having these kind of locations um, are very important, and they can either you know reinforce. Um, the story, the narrative, the character in ways that you would expect a lighthouse to do or in the Eggers lighthouse movie, it's quite the opposite and yeah. inverted because that's his worldview, I think. But, uh, here it, it, you know, again, there's a lot of, you know, kind of mixed messages going on inside the lighthouse. Uh, but at the same time, Lena continues her spiritual journey. It's a liminal space, yep. you know, transitional space. Um, it is a, you know, she goes into a womb and comes back out. Uh, so there's a rebirth visual thing happening there. And then there's the classic, uh, spiritual experience of the mirror. She's mirrored by this other, uh, version of herself that she's in contention with. Mm -hmm. And it's very Richard Rohr kind of shadow self and looking in the mirror, uh, kind of experience that is just totally visualized, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in this really profound way of, of her wrestling with herself and making a choice, uh, which is, which is profound. So Yeah. yeah, there's all that there. It doesn't necessarily add up to something really easy for me to, you know, like pull together, but all those things are there, which I thought was, was really outstanding. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, again, I, th- I think the, like the Christian elements, the theological elements that arise from this, like the reason why I like movies like this is that it doesn't give it to you easy. It makes you work for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's more true to what the actual experience will be like. Not that you have to, you know, work for grace or something like that. That's not what I'm saying at all, but like it won't be what you think it is. Yeah, sure. And like sure. how the authors who experience like the revelation of what the new heaven and the new earth will look like yeah. are struggling with to try and put into words. Yeah. And we do have a lot of these sentimental pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing sentimental about what happens in this lighthouse. It's very just raw, gritty, gritty. But this rebirth, new birth kind of like struggle, I think is is helpful. Just to kind of give a few plot notes as we kind of go to the end. Like you've got uh, Lena walks into the plot, the lighthouse. Um, there's this beautiful beach with all these like very like glass structures, almost crystal in a certain yeah, like sense. trees, yeah, yeah, that have grown onto the beach. You know, she's looking out at the water. She finds a soldier that has been burned alive. It looks like, um, and she finds a recording, uh, like a camcorder. Uh, come to find out, that's actually Cain, um, and she finds out that the the entity inside of the the lighthouse kind of made a copy of her, of him, or, or, or at, least, at least that's what she's like interpreting in that moment. 
he sets himself on fire with a phosphorus grenade. Um, she finds Ventress kind of with her eyes gouged out um, before she has her finally final battle with the entity. She tricks it, kills it, and escapes. But her DNA has drastically changed. I mean, one of the things that you see in the film is she actually like looks at her cells and sees mm-hmm. how they're replicating now. Yeah, yeah. And things like that. And I mean, Thornton looks at her hand and sees that her um, like her fingerprints, fingerprints are moving, yeah. you know, and things like that. And so the DNA has changed her pretty significantly. And so she goes out back out of the uh um and we'll get i want to get into the nitty-gritty of this here i'm just kind of giving a mile high overview here but um she gets out of the glimmer goes back to her husband you know it kind of concludes the the um uh kind of concludes the interrogation piece and she kind of embraces kane um and it seems like they're kind of like this new adam and eve characters because they're new forms of humanity they're neither what they were before but they're neither um you know fully not human they're still human but they have this they, they've transcended humanity in mm-hmm. that kind of sense but but yeah so and it leaves that at an end similar to ex machina where yeah. you know the ai mm-hmm. uh you know leaves the facility and it would become an action movie if there's ever a, a sequel that's right wreaking that's right. havoc um maybe facing off against neo at some point or something that's right brought to you by michael bay that's right <laughs> um but and but here similar uh yeah definitely leaving it open for interpretation. If you're just reading it plot-wise, it looks like, yeah, the shimmer is gone, but it's inside of them. And yes. so, you know, who knows what's going to happen from there? Probably not good things. Oh, yeah, that's right. But on a, um, but again, reading it uh, spiritually, you do have, yeah, the new Adam and the new Eve. You have their reconciliation. Um, you have a number of things that are happening there that, again, are quite beautiful right. um, outside of just the superficial plot, you know, context. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I neglected to mention when she actually, so the mirror image, like the thing that comes out of that um, entity in the heart of the lighthouse that she mirrors her, she has to kind of fight it and she tricks it into kind of blowing itself up uh, with a grenade. Um, after that thing dies. Um, and burns up. It's a phosphorus grenade. So again, there's something, you know, burning the, the, the chafe away. However we say that, yeah, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. kind of like, again, in terms of self, uh, this kind of visual yeah. um, thing happening with that. Yeah, because really in both senses, like, you know, I mean, Kane and her face the same thing. Um, it's her, but it's not her. Um, and that's where the mirror element comes to it. You know, Kane, it lets him, it, it defeats him. It makes that other thing more real than him. And for, for Lena, she defeats that in kind of this struggle against the powers mm-hmm. against what saves and that. But when she does that, the glimmer collapses, it disappears. And so everything's kind of, you know, they can go in there now and things like that without the, the effects of the shimmer, at least theoretically. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that whole scene is just, is is very hard. It's got that, the thing I, I will not forgive Annihilation for is the annoying like, that, that, I, I really don't like that noise. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. It just, like, even when the, it was in the trailer, mm-hmm. and it just bothered me. I still want to see it. Yeah, like, sure. It bothered me, and I don't know why. Yeah. I have no rational reason. It's just that. Yeah, sometimes, just, yeah. Sometimes, Century. Century no, issue. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, I, maybe that's it. I, yeah. <laughs> I need to invest in, in more of those kind of things. But, yeah, I mean, what what do you, you've mentioned several times. I mean, is there more you want to add about this kind of new creation thing that you see arising from this scene? 
Well, one interesting thing, I was just looking at my notes um, when I'd originally written about it, but Lena, her name, which I looked up on the Google, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the name Lena means torch or beautiful, light, bright, mm. shining. Um, and so I think there's a lot there potentially. I mean, that may have been, you know, a total oversight and maybe that was just her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe the author from the book, you know, was more intent on that. And it's, I think it's fairly different than the book in a number of ways also, which mm-hmm. is also a trilogy, I think. Yes. But um, but anyways, I thought that was significant, again, in terms of, you know, the layers of her character and who she actually is um, and what happens and what she represents, all those kind of uh, all that stuff uh, mm-hmm. seemed really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of now we can transition to overall themes from the from the movie that I think are important. There's one element that I like. This is more philosophical than it is theological, and I mentioned this earlier. Nietzsche has this idea of the Ubermensch, and he has this really great story in his uh, kind of novel, "Thus Spoke There Zarathustra," where um, it's called this this kind of parable of like metamorphosis, where um, like for him, like everyone's kind of captive to this like enslaving morality that really keeps you from achieving who you who you are mm-hmm. like he's, he's, he talks about the will to power there's only the will to power the will to seize and control and dominate and those who don't have it right and you need to be the one that does rather than the one that doesn't and there's kind of this spiritual journey that he describes of like you know you have to go through this metamorphosis first you've got to transform into this camel that can go out into the desert that doesn't need anything just exists out there on its own it's self-sufficient and the next you need to transform into this lion to defeat all of those kind of like moralities that are part of who you are for him it was a critique of christianity that these there are these things in our culture that you know we would call like humane like mm-hmm. to be humane things like that, sure like care compassion that kind of element. right um you know like ayn rand for example is very against the idea of charity because she thinks it's deeply dis- like inhuman and that kind of things are inhumane yeah sure it's that kind of metamorphosis to to think that you know charity and helping and those kind of things can be deeply inhumane and stuff like that and so the lion has to defeat and he has this beautiful image of this idea of the dragon of the thou shalt nots you know which is mm. a direct line to the yeah sure know, to make commandments and stuff like that and then lastly sure. you transform it as a baby to once you've gone out there you're self-sufficient you've defeated the moralities that hold you captive um you can now be a baby and experience the world in a brand new way in mm-hmm. a certain sense like that's kind of the spiritual like one of the elements of the spiritual journey i see um, in the shimmer, it could be, I'm not saying it's definitively the only one, but you know, here's Lena, she goes into the, the shimmer and she's battling all of these demons, you know, and she's becoming something else in mm-hmm. the process. And she goes through many metamorphoses. The most final one is where she defeats herself. Yep. Um, and then they become Lena and Kane, her husband become this kind of new Ubermensch, the Superman hmm. um, is what it means. In Interesting. English. Um, now Nietzsche's writing way before, Clark Kent ever came onto the scene, right? Uh, there's, there's a. Uh, no he should get, yeah, Superman writing credits for. That's sure. right. He should get, so, yeah, he should get some credits for that. Some, some royalties, but, <laughs> you know, him as as Adam and Eve, they're cast from Eden, the Shimmer, mm-hmm. you know, now to out into the world in that kind of sense, and I think that's 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 really helpful. I mean, in terms of like some mental health themes, we've talked about it a little bit, but. Well, I want to uh, riff quickly. On, oh yeah. yeah, just on that part, but thinking of it as a heart of darkness story as mm-hmm. well. So the mm-hmm. classic spiritual journey, uh, and even in it's a wonderful life, uh, that spiritual journey, which is, you know, leads him to the bridge to suicide, right? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is actually, you know, when you think about it, pretty mm-hmm. dark, but God is facilitating, you know, one, he's allowing for suffering to happen. He's, mm-hmm. you know, part of this journey and, and part of this intervention. And, and so you get a very directly Christian 
thing yeah. happening in, yeah. in that story. Yeah. But I think that, you know, those are, uh, one, just con- consistently great narratives and how we come back to mm-hmm. the spiritual journey narrative and what's happening and the the struggle and the, the what Roar talks about, St. Francis talks about with the first death, mm-hmm. right? So dying to ourself, which is part of that um, Nietzsche thing, but in, in our context, spiritually, uh, dying to fear, dying to things that are, that are preventing mm-hmm. us from mm-hmm. being in relationship with God, uh, in relationship with one another, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this there, this sense of rebirth mm-hmm. um, is something that is in some ways inevitable. Like we either mm-hmm. participate in it, we use, you know, tribal cultures have rites of passage and, and whatever. We've lost a lot of those things in modern culture. But the whole midlife crisis, mm-hmm. um, in as a as a thing, you know, it's kind of like we're we're running and going and going and going, and then we like run into a wall, um, which is kind of like life's built-in way of saying, you know, maybe you need to uh, look a different direction or open up to something else and recognize your limitation and recognize your false self or whatever to to be able to grow from that and to, again, spiritually potentially be, you know, saved or, or yeah. born again, uh, oh, the yeah. language we, we use for that. Yeah. And I, I love that idea that, because I think another way to interpret this is along those lines of this idea of like the journey is a journey of faith in the shimmer. And I mean, not in like, I mean, none of the characters identify with any direct spirituality in the movie, but like all of them are scientists in some capacity, geologists, physicists, you know, psychologists, but none of them really are making super rational decisions, like scientifically, like informed decisions in the sense that like, you can see why they make these plotting. You know, I always think of it like the Avengers. They have that scene where they talk about what they're going to do and then they go do the thing. (laughs) You know, that kind of like, Hey, we're going to go do this thing. And then, you know, (laughs) the audience is like, okay, you're going to go do that thing. But here, like you have no idea what's going to happen next. Like, like going back to the scene where the human is kind of like splayed over the wall because of like the growth of, yeah becoming like a human flower in a certain kind of sense. Um, like you have no idea how those characters are going to respond to that. Like I, if I were them, I would leave, but some of them do, some of them don't. It surprises you who wants to go and who wants to stay. You know, it, each scene is kind of met with this sense of newness. And for sense, I think there's this, um, another philosopher just prior to Nietzsche expresses this best in the idea of leap into faith with Kierkegaard. This, this movie is just even like deeper and deeper or further and farther, um, leaps into faith especially for lena mm-hmm. because she does not know what she's about to encounter every single time she gets closer to the lighthouse yeah so everything she's taking a risk i mean kierkegaard has this famous line where he says life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forwards mm-hmm. and in some sense her constantly reflecting back on yeah. what she's doing right? yeah in as and you as the audience gets to see her as like at the very beginning of the movie you actually see her at the end of the movie yeah um that's kind of what it's going absolutely so, so there's not really a sense like a yeah, like a, I don't know, like a, 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 what you would think that scientists would kind of plot with that kind of thing. It's they leap into it. It's a spiritual journey in that sense, and so that kind of sense of like dying to fear, dying to like that kind of stuff. That's that's a leap of faith, uh, leap into faith. Yeah, what, absolutely. What Kierkegaard probably would say, and so um, I think there's something very profound about that, like you know, um, and and what that means, and and so this last piece I, I kind of want to talk about is this idea of destruction and newness, and so. Obviously, like you've highlighted so well, this idea that there's um, um, there's this transformation that happens, this mm-hmm. newness. This is kind of feels like a new creation kind of piece, 
and, and this is, again, just something I struggle with. Um, and I'm not necessarily, and I, I think I struggle with this for more coherent reasons than I do what happens with Redick or, or not. Um, sure. But, or uh, is that, like, for me, new creation uh, looks like healing. And that's more clear when you see someone like what happens with Redick's, like, decision. Like, that's a healing that you kind of reason around and get to. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what the the kind of like transformation of Shepard, the transformation of Thornson, like it's just it's just destruction. Right? Mm -hmm. They're transformed to participate in this monstrosity of this bear and that kind of thing. This is yeah, just doing sure. bear stuff, you know. Maybe it's not. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't say monstrosity. It's just doing bear stuff. But um, nothing remains in the shimmer at the end, right? The shimmer is destroyed, and um, maybe that's the sign of the new creation like happening, but destruction seems to be this sense of like self-destruction which i keep going back to that theme and i think the thing that's helpful that you provided for me is this idea that ventures is projecting that mm -hmm. and so maybe i'm seeing this too much through the lens of ventures than sure. I am through lena but you're still right i mean there's still <clears throat> a, definitely a limitation to our all things new new and new creation um perspective because it is again a horror film and we don't know why the aliens have shown up uh right, what the yeah. shimmer is and and drawing and and transforming in in ugly ways yeah um and <clears throat> they come back to this idea of not knowing what it wants you know mm -hmm. i think it wants anything right. uh just expanding and and you know um participating you know in its own way while while changing mm -hmm. so it's definitely limited in terms of you know our theological uh, perspective on it and I like looking again at art house films and and films that are are obviously not Christian right um, but still can't help can't help but reflect that right Re so yeah so sorry we got cut off there had a minor technical issue but I believe I was saying um, something to the effect of reflect or reflect <clears throat> refract I'm sorry um, our own meta narrative, our own Christian narrative, in terms of spiritual journeys that you see, particularly in science fiction films and, and any and everything from uh, fantasy, Lord of the Rings, and, and whatever. So I think, you know, it definitely is not fully engaging that in a way Tolkien obviously does, um, but certainly uh, reflects that overall experience. And there are moments that that uh, are really just highlight mm -hmm. the theological. Uh, understanding of what we've been talking about yeah and in some sense that this is all an exercise of just seeing the story everywhere um, and trying to find a way to think about it in a new light the art house film i think as any work of art will do um, gives us a chance to rethink the basic and core assumptions of who we are as people and try and um, see how our culture tries to reflect that back at us either intentionally or unintentionally mm -hmm. um, but one thing that i yeah. really appreciate and this is this will be a kind of our closing thought I, I i remember being struck with this idea of like lack of like this kind of language of postmodernism, and there's this language of deconstruction that's in right. there so like once the the human is deconstructed um and it's it's interesting because these these characters all kind of are alone right they don't have people and so i think that this idea of like this the idea is like de destruction is kind of this lack of community and instead of like a self it's about this need for community, but sure. deconstruction as destruction, right? Instead of reconstruction, because deconstruction has this idea of construction and destruction, like both in the same word. 
and that's very much what's happening she's lena's coming apart and who she is is like molecularly Mm -hmm. but also being woven back together in new ways and deconstruction in that sense is what it is helpful but deconstruction itself is very dangerous uh, because it can lead one astray in in very unhelpful ways if one gives it too much can be a black hole yeah yeah like i remember i had a guy who was reading like almost exclusively french philosophers he's a friend of mine and he was battling deep depression and and his right uh, he's talking about that with his counselor and his counselor's like have you tried not reading that as much or maybe at all <laughs> and he stopped and he actually like he improved not to say that, that stuff causes bad <laughs> mental health at all not the not at all but like uh, if one exclusively lives there sometimes it can be quite a dark place absolutely um, deconstruction can be helpful but it is not the only uh, tool and i do think yeah the language of you used the word broken earlier but fragmentation right yeah and so in counseling uh, people often come in fragmented and part of it is like putting these pieces back together, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, coming back absolutely. to a whole self. So I think, again, that movie does a good job of, of uh, representing that in these in very interesting ways. Yeah, definitely. And I think that uh, there's a lot here. I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but I think that's a good place to to land. So let us know. What, is there something we missed or something you see there that you'd like to hear us maybe respond to in a future podcast just let us know you can hit us up on on twitter um obviously art house road show um, you can hit us there at art house road on twitter um, i'm at duke 13 theo um kyle is at cinema 1978 um as we're kind of closing out here um year-end review kind of thing um are there any art house films that you've seen this year that you'd like to put on people's radar and maybe where they can catch them just maybe a few if you have them? Absolutely. Um, I'll just do three and not overwhelm you. Um, But one that I just recently watched on Amazon Prime, it's called Encounter, which is its own kind of science fiction uh, build up Mm -hmm. in that in that movie, if you watch the preview, but actually uh, turns out to be uh, something else entirely also about mental health and and some challenges. And and I really liked where the movie ended with that. Nothing um, spectacular, not not the best movie of the year or anything, but yeah. a good movie. And again, a great depiction of uh, narrative mm-hmm. and journey. Um, and then the Wes Anderson movie, of course, which I would love to do a podcast on Wes Anderson at some point. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, this is not my favorite movie of his, but it's a great uh, art. You know, Wes mm-hmm. Anderson artifice mm-hmm. uh, exploring art and our relationship to art in a number of ways. Uh, layered, uh, telling three different stories. So mm. I think that that was a lot of fun. And then my favorite movie of the year, which again on Twitter, if you if you do uh, connect with me, I repost a lot of my letterbox reviews, and I'll post the Annihilation one um, as well. But my favorite movie of the year is called Pig. Mm. Uh, it starred Nicolas Cage, the brand new director. But I thought it was uh, had strong visual literacy, meaning it expresses the character very well, and it sets itself up to be. Uh, John Wick kind of uh, Nick Cage gets his pig truffle pig stolen and he's very upset about it looks like it's going to be this big revenge epic uh, but turns out to be something much more compassionate and spiritual and interesting so I wrote about that as well uh, all the different layers happening there I really enjoyed that experience that's being shown on Hulu right now oh great okay well cool yeah Yeah. That's awesome. I, I need to check out Pig. I've, I saw the preview. I mean, I saw the, the promotion for it and everything. But uh, uh, keep, an, keep an eye out on Netflix. Netflix is producing a lot of art house kind of style films uh, these days. I mean, the one that kind of like, I don't think this is on Netflix right now, but the, the big kind of art house film of the year that people are kind of talking about um, is like the French exit. I don't know if you've watched that. 
I haven't. Um, but nope. I've heard, I mean, it earned Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. I would like to see that one actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a lot of good stuff out there if you're willing to do some digging. Um, but I mean, a, another recommendation is if, if you, um, are somebody who goes to AMC theaters, they kind of highlight these movies, the artisan films is what they'll call them. Um, and so like they have some of those, uh, out there too. And so just, you know, keep an eye out for it. Check out these ones. Let's, uh, Look at look at Pig. Look at the directors. You know Wes Anderson, uh, Terrence Malick, all these characters, and I mean all these directors um, do put out some good content. Absolutely. So, uh, be on the lookout for that stuff and check it out. Um, you know, but you know we're also a fan of any good movie, so just feel free to hit us up with anything that you want us to see us uh, do. Uh, just coming up, just to kind of give you an idea of, of what we're doing. Um, I've we've got that still that. Uh, special episode and i realize we got a branding issue and so please bear with me as i work out what we're doing with these branding issues the main episodes of the podcast are going to be me and kyle on here but we'll also have art house movie reviews uh, which will be one or both of us talking about a movie just to review it you know it doesn't it won't be super long it'll be a little bit shorter than our normal podcast length um and so be looking for those but we'll also have these kind of uh um special shows which i'm going to rebrand uh the mcguffin shows which are you know if you know what a mcguffin is it uh uh moves a plot forward it's a plot device that's used to maybe move the story along and so we're going to try and do weekly content of some kind you can count on once a month us at least doing this uh art house roadshow podcast where we come together and do what we just did today where we talk about mental health faith theology movies art house films um together but you'll also see those other two elements as well um, so be on the lookout for those. The MacGuffin on Midnight Mass is still coming. And my spoiler-heavy review of Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which uh, Kyle needs to see that yeah. uh, just for, <laughs> for all of us out there. Uh, in January, we will be doing uh, another episode of the Art House Roadshow, episode three on The Joker, because we had a Twitter poll, and you guys overwhelmingly wanted us to talk about yeah. The Joker. Let's and do so- it. We're going to do it. Um, but we've also received a few of your messages, so something to look up. Uh, and, and we've also planned, Kyle and I, have a few episodes in the future. But uh, be on the lookout for a podcast on uh, Hunger, uh, Beast of No Nations. Uh, we're also going to hit some uh, Terrence Malick pieces, Wes Anderson pieces. Um, and so we'll be back in January with the Joker, and then we'll let you know what's going to come up in February. Uh, March, and April, March, April, June, rest of the year, just kind of as we go along. But if there's stuff you want us to talk about, it we'll put in the queue. We'll uh, we'll definitely um, be willing to talk about whatever you guys would like to hear us uh, go through. But those things are on the horizon. Uh, any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up together here, Kyle? No, I mean whoever requested Hunger, that's a movie I've seen and I, and I love. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one for sure. Uh, But yeah, no, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, be well, stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you next time on Art House Roadshow. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.